Welcome back to the Across the Browns podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Adams, joined today, as always, by John Kaufman. John, how you doing? Oh, man, I could not be better, man. So exciting. Uh, the draft in Cleveland, uh, you know, just got to go down there. Super exciting. Uh, great picks. A lot of fun. We got a great, great guest today. Uh, it's going to be a great day for sure. And I also wanted to uh, give a shout out, quick shout out our newest subscriber so when we were downtown on thursday night for round one uh we got to uh we met uh, katie is her name katie at the at the map room uh she was uh she just you know it's like hey what do you guys do and we, oh yeah we have a podcast and she's like oh i'm a browns fan what is it called and so you know she uh subscribed and is hopefully listening now so we just wanted to say hi to our newest subscriber so katie uh from the map room uh katie at the bar uh welcome aboard we're happy to have you it's a beautiful weekend in Cleveland. I thought the rain the first night of the draft was just <clears throat> kind of embodied what Cleveland is, which is just really kind of a, it, it's an ugly beautiful. It's not, you know, it's not going to knock your socks <laughs> off. You're not going there to vacation. Uh, it's ugly beautiful. We saw Barry's second draft and by, you know, so many analysts, professionals, whatever you want to call them. You know, they're just amazed. Year two, Barry continues to kill it at 34 years old, which is absolutely crazy. Um, today, we're just going to talk about the we're going to hit heavy the one through three rounds, one through three guys. Uh, we have guest Brendan Leister. You guys always love his shows. You always give them such good reviews. So we're happy that Brendan could jump on the podcast today we're very thankful for that he's also going to go through rounds four through undrafted uh and kind of hit on what their fit is because that's really what he that's that's what he loves to do it's what he's done on this pod before and he does a great job of hitting the nail right on the head every single year so brendan thank you so much for joining us and uh i hope you enjoyed had a good weekend wherever you enjoyed the draft from yeah man it was good um watched thursday night at home uh, went down there on Friday. Uh, the wife got cold, so we left between the JOK pick and the Schwartz pick. Um, but we did get home in time to see basically the whole third round. Nice. Um, yeah, we live like 25 minutes outside the city, and we got home quick, so that was easy. And then just watched. We had tickets to go day three, but we decided to just stay home. Um, okay. We felt like the experience on Friday was good enough, and yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty, um, pretty exciting, you know when. When all of a sudden, like nobody was expecting it, and then the Browns come on the clock because they had traded right. up, and then I think everybody kind of knew who they were trading up for, most <laughs> likely. So there was just a, a cool energy in the air, and it was kind of neat to be there. So yeah, it was a good weekend. It was fun. Um, I've had a lot of fun since the draft ended, kind of thinking a lot about how the different players fit, um, why they took certain guys, you know, what players might be gone as a result of these players being brought in it's just you know a lot of things running through my brain and watching some film of these guys also so just a whole lot of things going on it's been really fun yeah i the jok pick as you said the energy was in the air um i was at john's house and the just absolute being a browns fan my whole life it's like draft picks. I'm like this greedy little goblin under the bridge. Like, come on, give me a. We're tra we're trading away a draft pick. We're trading away 89. We're trading away 59. Like instead of just enjoying, hey, we just basically like we just basically washed with draft picks, trading up seven spots to get a uh, a very electrifying defender. Instead of just basking in the moment, I looked at John and said, 
I can't believe we gave up 89. Like, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. I, you know, as if I know more than Barry and De Podesta and all these guys up in the front office. But I'm very, I'm very happy that uh, Cleveland got to like experience that one draft pick where everyone went crazy and was you know, jumping around. Because uh, as I said, Newsom was more of just like the, that was the really good pick, but it didn't make anyone jump around or scream. Um, so speaking of that, Brendan, what did you think of Greg Newsom? I, I love the player. The injuries scare me, but what scared me more is when that when that girl, that young lady, walked up to the podium and said Gregory. My heart <laughs> dropped so far that I thought I had died. I thought that the Browns selected Gregory Russo, and I couldn't even enjoy the pick because I started drinking a beverage the minute she said Gregory. Um, Glad they so didn't go true. that way. Glad they got their guy. But this seems like a perfect mix of you got the value. The player was definitely worth a 26 overall pick. It luckily filled a position of need. And most importantly, it's a position of great value. So all, all in all, I love the pick. I'd like to know what you think of the fit and the player and the the, the outlook on him. Yeah, so like leading up to, you know, the final few weeks heading into the draft, I felt like um, I, I started to feel like Greg Newsom was probably the best case scenario just as far as the talent, you know, his age. Like I knew that they target guys that are younger. That was obvious last year, and they continued to do that this year. His athletic ability was off, off the charts. Um, his production also, like he was really productive, not, not necessarily getting interceptions, but getting plays on the football, which, which, which matters. Um, and so all around his skill set, and then you also combine that with his height. He's six foot one. He's got great length, so he's a good complement to Denzel Ward. And then also the fact that that was just a huge need. Like they, you know, they have Denzel Ward, they have Troy Hill, who they signed. That was a great signing. But we're at the point right now where like they cannot count on Greedy Williams. Whatever he gives them is a bonus, and that and I think that's clearly the way that they're viewing it. Um, if Greedy steps up and he beats out Newsom, you know, this year that would be fantastic because that means that Greedy probably is going to play well. But it was clear that they needed another corner. So I thought taking Newsom at 26, if he was there, was going to be like the best case scenario. And in studying more of him, I really feel like he's a great scheme fit. Um, He just has this tremendous knack for um, just spatial awareness and zone coverage, like midpointing routes and you know, knowing when to pass off a route to a safety, for example, and then come up and tackle, for example, running back in the flat or you know reading reading the route of number two. If one goes vertical, he lets him go to the safety, and then he'll come off the route and tackle number two once the ball is caught. He's just really good at that type of stuff. And I think he really fits well into the role that they had Terrence Mitchell playing in the back half of the season last year. Hmm. Um, I've written about it on my blog, LeicesterFootball.com. But um, for the first half of last season, they were going right and left with Denzel Ward and um, and Terrence Mitchell. And in a couple of those games, like the Steelers game, the Cowboys game, anytime that the opposing offense was on the left hash, they were really picking on Mitchell because he doesn't have great vertical speed. So that meant... You know, because they're on the left hash and he's the defensive right corner. That means that he's to the short side of the field. So that's a short, shorter throw for the quarterback. Easy for the quarterback to just pick on him, pick on him, pick on him. So at the bye week, 
they made Denzel Ward the boundary corner. Your boundary corner covers it's shorter shorter throws for the quarterbacks. They get targeted more often. Um, but you know, it took pressure off of Mitchell because it allowed him to play more to the field in space, reading routes, playing off coverage, all those things. If they continue to do that this year, it's actually a perfect fit for Greg Newsom's skill set. You know, he can come up and play press coverage and play man to man, but his his ability to read routes and play off and come up and tackle with physicality and all those things. I mean, he's a really high IQ player, tough. Um they don't they don't have to do that. That's what's nice about it. They could go left and right. Um, they could go, you know, there's a taller, longer wide receiver this week, and then there's a quicker one on the other side. So let's match Newsom on the taller one, Ward on the shorter, quicker one. You know, they can do those types of things. But also if they want to keep Ward as that boundary corner who's gonna be isolated on the other team's X receiver a lot to the short side of the field and get targeted a lot, and they want to put Newsom out in space to the field reading a lot of route combos and such that also fits his skill set really well. Also, I feel like they're in a situation with Troy Hill, where you look at the way that Troy Hill played last year for the Rams and two receiver sets, Troy Hill would play outside and nickel. He would slide inside. And I think that was the first year of his entire career that he's done that where he actually like, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing nickel. And I, I heard Joe Woods one time, I think in an interview on the radio, maybe he said how, like Troy Hill hasn't been coached very much in the, in the nickel. So they're excited to just coach the guy and get him more experience playing there. And I think that's what's likely to happen this year is that Denzel Ward and Troy Hill will be the two corners when they face two receiver sets. And then when they're in nickel with three corners out there, I think Hill move inside, cover the slot, and Newsom will come in as the third corner. That's kind of how I see the fit going. Wow. I wow. Yeah, the... So I, I do have a question that um, with the Troy Hill uh, little nugget that you gave there, that's really interesting. And that just, I mean, it makes as a Browns fan, um, I, you know, I want to stay like central and neutral and just focus on the actual thing in front of me. But the fandom in me is like, well, holy crap, like they're getting a really young who played really well in the slot cornerback who doesn't even know how to play the position yet so that makes me extremely <laughs> giddy and i'm trying to you know stay calm but with newsom <laughs> do the penalties worry you i mean he was quite grabby for the you know little amount of games he played but i you know this i guess is my overall question like when you have a guy who's this physical who is this aggressive is that just something that kind of comes with it and yeah i so think young, um yeah, on film, you know, there are times where he'll get out of position, out of phase, and he'll grab, um, or he'll, you know, be closing in on the receiver early, and what would be a contested catch if he's there a little bit later turns into a, you know, pass interference type penalty. Um, you know, I think that stuff can be coached out of a guy. He is so young. I don't worry about it too much. It's not. It's definitely not for a lack of fluidity or things like that it's not that he's like tight-hipped or anything because he is a very fluid athlete sometimes he gets in positions and press coverage where like he'll turn the wrong direction um and he'll be able to recover because he's just so smooth and fluid and you don't see that type of recovery skills very often from a guy um and it's and it's you know it's just because of such a high-end athlete that he is um so that stuff you know early in his career that will happen but but also those 
like I like I watched the Purdue game today, and there was a couple penalties in that game. But that receiver he was going against was impressive. Number three for Purdue. I don't know who that was, but I studied Rondell Moore on film, and that number three is a better all-around receiver than Rondell Moore. Like I don't really care when wow. that guy's going to go in the draft, but <laughs> yeah, I like it as a as an outside receiver, vertical threat, um, post route speed, all all that. I mean, he was. They were targeting Newsom a lot, and they liked that, you know, that number three for them. And it's a tough matchup. And I thought Newsom did a great job of battling. Um, like I said earlier, he does do a good job of finding the ball at the catch point. But, but yeah, the penalties are something he will have to clean up with time. But I will say also that when I look back at his numbers from this past year, that the penalties all kind of came at the beginning of the year. I think he had three in the first game, two in the second game, or wow. vice versa. And then from then on, there was none. And one of them was a holding, and it was ticky-tack. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't all, like, grabby. There was only two. There was only two of them, I think, that were, like, grabby-type plays. Um, yeah, it's not something that really concerns me long-term. It's not, it's not like he's a tight-hipped corner that yeah. can't change direction. It's grabbing guys out of breaks all the time. I think it's just a matter of him continuing to get reps as you mentioned earlier, the, the injuries are probably more of a concern to me, just that he's missed at least three games in each season. Um, but that's something you've just really got to trust the Browns doctors on. You know, I yep. mean, they, they have way more information than we do. It seems like it was all soft tissue stuff. Like there's nothing chronic that a medical report would show, you know, um, mm-hmm. not like he's got any underlying conditions and things. And And he even said in his, conference call with the media that he's just had really bad luck. So hopefully the Browns uh, sports science and, you know, strength and conditioning staff and all that, that they can work with them and improve upon those things as time goes on and keep them healthy. Absolutely. Mm. I, I think with someone like Caleb Farley going in the, did he go in the mid late teens or early twenties? That makes twenty second. That makes Greg, you know, Greg Newsom's injuries look uh, minor. You know, it's a an ibuprofen compared to, I don't know, a big pill. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm very glad they didn't come away with Caleb Farley. I mean, for yeah. one, I didn't I didn't love him on film. I know most people do, but I thought he was kind of stiff hipped and linear as an athlete. He didn't have mm-hmm. the fluidity that uh, Newsom does. Yeah. And then you also combine that with severe back problems that are probably going to linger for the rest of his life. That's, that's pretty scary. The Titans love to take those first round risks. That's for sure. Yeah. John, what do you think about uh 20, a 20 year old with back injuries? You think they'll be fine? <laughs> <laughs> As a 42 year old. So. Uh, yeah. I had an MRI back, on my back when, I, yeah, when I was 17, <laughs> I had an MRI on my back and I still have back problems to this day. So, uh, uh no thanks. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to curse myself, but John's got a bad back. Now, Brendan, you say that. I woke up this morning and just slept wrong, so my back's tight. So now I'm like <laughs> freaking myself out, like, okay, here's this slip from me sitting in my chair or something. But um, yeah, I, I, I like everything you said about Newsom. I think that it's it, the biggest part is that they don't have to rush him into a position that he's uncomfortable with right off the bat. Uh, and I think another thing that the Browns defensive backs have not had in the past two years is they're going to have that, that what should be a, a steady pass rush coming in uh, that'll help them not have to you know sit back in coverage longer than they need to be, which is very good. 
And PFF's lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, uh, you know, he said before the draft that if he had to guess someone in five years would, you know, be the best cornerback in this group, it'd be Newsom. And hearing that from a guy who his only job is to focus on the draft is one of those things that's, you know, obviously you have to take everything with a grain of salt. But it was super um, relaxing to hear that. And they said the same things as you, Brennan, Brendan. The, the footwork, the fluidity in the hips, it's just stuff that doesn't come around. You talked about like just being able to get out of situations that most cornerbacks can't. So that's everything about Newsom is, you know, it's, it's what you look for at a 26 overall pick uh, for a team that did not have a good defense by any means last year. John, I'll let you talk about JOK and bring him up since I know this is, this is just one of your dudes from day one. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were, I mean, how many different times did you see in a mock draft, you know, uh, JOK going to the Browns at 26, right? Or and, trading up for him, which is just disgusting. Yeah, yeah, or mm-hmm. even that, you know, there were a couple scenarios, like maybe JC Horn was a target if they were going to trade up, maybe it got, you know, like uh, Owusu Koromoa. So, you know, I mean, just to sit there watching the draft and they pick Newsom and, it, and you know, the it's the, the sensible, you know, it's coming home with a Toyota Camry. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, okay, like that's, that's what you needed, right? We needed a car like that. We needed a car with great gas mileage and room for groceries and very safe and stuff like that. Like, but you know, nobody, nobody's running out to see the Camry, like in the driveway, nobody's excited about that. You come home with a Corvette or whatever. And everyone's like, Oh my God, can I, can I take a picture? Can I sit in the passenger seat? Like, it's amazing. Is it got paddle shifters? Oh my God. You know? And that would have been Owusu Koromoa. Instead, we got that in the second round. I mean, you know, and it, I, it came out afterwards. I guess there were some medicals and things like that, and that's why, you know, he fell. Obviously, he was cleared and everything like that. But, but um, yeah, I mean, to to get that player, uh, you know, that we all wanted in the first round, it would have, you know, <laughs> one of the three players that we would have loved to have had, you know, take 26. Instead, you get him at uh, 52. Um, I mean, just incredible. I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, Brendan, like, what do you, you know, obviously they traded up. So value wise, you know, do you think, you know, did they get the right player, but it cost them a little bit of value or you think the value was good on the trade and they got the right player? How did you kind of see that? Um, okay. So I don't dislike the pick at all. I would, I would not have taken taken him at 26 just personally. Like I was glad that they got him at 52 because I definitely was not, I would not have loved that. I would not have been one. I know a lot of fans loved him and were so excited about him. And that was kind of like the flashy, like the shiny object, you know, but I, I would not have liked him at 26 personally. Um, there's just a lot of projection with what he did in college versus what he's going to do in the NFL, regardless of where he plays. And he's going to play well linebacker for the Browns. They've come out and said that like 10 times now, even <laughs> though some conspiracy theorists on Twitter disagree. But um, yeah, um, as far as the trade up, I, I was adamant on Friday when people were asking me what I thought of trading up. I was adamant that they should not trade up high in the second round just because it was obvious that a good player was going to be there like closer to their pick. But when you consider that they gave up a third and got back a fourth, they moved back like 30 spots or 25 spots, um, something around that. And that's, I think based on what, um, what people that study these trades and the, the trade value and things based off history and such, I think it was, I think the Browns viewed it as a seventh rounder. That's what Robert Mays said on his podcast because he mm. has some sources in the Browns organization. Wow. They viewed they viewed the difference between 
that force that they got back in the third that they gave as like a seventh rounder. Um, other people on Twitter said that that was like a sixth rounder. So either way, that's yeah. So like that, that's a fine trade up. If they would have given up like a four, you know, one of those fours and just given up the pick and not swapped, I would have hated it. I would have mm-hmm. absolutely just hated it because I would have loved to just see who was there at, you know, at 59. Right. Um, but I, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, I think it's, it's great value at, at 52 and I can definitely see what they like about him. Um, I told you guys earlier that I have this Browns estimated depth chart that I, I've been updating since uh, like 2016, 2017. And um, I used to tweet it out, but but I don't tweet anymore. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I just have it for myself now and I'm Smart constantly man. updating it when the team makes moves and such. And uh, you know, one of the things I sorted it by personnel grouping um, two weeks ago. And one of the things that stood out whenever I put in 11 personnel offense versus dime defense is just that they didn't have a clear coverage linebacker behind Malcolm Smith. And, and that is, and it's not just an issue for this year, but it's an issue for the long term because you look at the skill sets of all these other linebackers and they're not guys that you'd love to have on the field. If it's third and 12, like Anthony Walker, that's a guy you want off the field in that situation. (laughs) Jacob Phillips, another guy you want off the field, hockey talkie. Also, hmm. Mac Wilson, probably not on the team. Um, so, yeah, so there's just like a long list of <laughs> linebackers that were clearly not that coverage guy um, to kind of learn under Malcolm Smith this year. And that was just a really obvious thing that they should be looking for. So I didn't love the idea of taking a, a linebacker for that role necessarily super early, but whenever Wusu Koromo is there at 52, that changes your perspective a little bit. I'm sure the Browns weren't viewing, they weren't going into the draft expecting him to get to get him at 52 either. No. They yeah. were probably expecting to take the, the linebacker that would project as a coverage type guy later on. That was probably what they expected when they came into the draft. But when he was there at 52, it made sense. Um, you know, in college, he played... It's a it's a Sam linebacker role. That's that's what the role is. You know, people call it nickel or Sam. And I know that at Notre Dame they call it their rover, but that's just like a term that the team calls it. But really it's a Sam linebacker in a four three defense, a high school or college defense. And those guys walk out over number two and they play in space and, and they're not really in the box reading run reading run from the box and, and they are like a fold in player, usually against the run blitz off the edge, um, basically play the role like a, like a nickel in the NFL. You know, that's kind of what the role is. So, um, so with him, it's all projecting his traits to an NFL role. It was either when I watched him before the draft, I was like, okay, so he's either going to have to play in the box as a will linebacker, or he's going to need to move back to safety and learn to cover down from depth and, into the post and get over the top of number two and cover two. And that's like, a or get over the top and a deep half and cover two, I should say mm-hmm. just a lot of different things that would come with that projection if he was to move to safety. Um, so I was not in love with him as a prospect, just because I think it's so hard to wrap your mind around those things. Sometimes when you're watching a guy on film and like, he's also not a great tackler. He has huge hits on film, but he's not great at wrapping up. I will say that when you watch more and more of them, you realize that part of the reason he misses tackles is because he's so athletic that he gets to spots other guys wouldn't get to. 
if you think about it, like if I'm fast and I chase a running back down from the other side of the field and I miss the tackle, like a slow guy wouldn't have even got there. Yeah. So that missed tackle is like something that other guys wouldn't have gotten, if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. it's kind of an interesting thing when you look at like the missed tackle numbers and things like that. Um, but it's really easy to see him thriving early in his career in a coverage role, um, you know, covering like running backs to the weak side of the formation, like in the flat and when they wheel it up on wheel routes and, you know, covering like man to man on tight ends, if it's like third and three, um, also blitzing, like you can do a lot of creative things with him as far as like your pressure packages and stuff, like line him up over number two to the field and bring him on a, on a blitz off the edge and then drop out your boundary end. You know, if it's like clowny cause he's played outside linebacker, um, you know, he's stood up a lot of his career. So there, there's just like a ton of things that you can do with him. I just think that in the run game, it's going to be a big, a big learning curve and a big adjustment. And there are reps on film from Notre Dame where he plays more of that will role. Like he's going to play in the NFL. Um, it's just, there's not many of them. And, and when that happened was, was actually when a team would go three by one and put their three receivers into the boundary because he played to the field. So then he would walk into the box and the right. will linebacker would walk out to the three receivers to the boundary. So those were the reps that were projectable really. Um, but he is a guy that plays with his hair on fire. He's physical. He's a fantastic athlete. He has good instincts in coverage. And and honestly, when I watched him before the draft, I think I remember talking to you guys last year about Isaiah Simmons. I think like I didn't <laughs> love Isaiah Simmons. I didn't like his instincts and I didn't like his change of direction skills. I actually thought Owusu Koromo is a better football player than Isaiah Simmons just because he's more instinctive and he changes direction better coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I definitely like the fit. I, I think he's clearly, he's going to learn a lot this year from Malcolm Smith playing with that guy. You know, that's a great leader for him to be behind as he learns to be that, you know, that coverage linebackers that they have at will. It's going to play on pass downs long-term. I think he's going to be a special teams demon. I mean, that's another thing that really stood out. He, he comes down the field and makes a lot of tackles covering kickoffs and things. Um, so I'm sure Prefer was really excited um, so really, you know, there's a lot of projection. They've got to get him to not go so fast and out of control all the time. That's one of his issues too. But I do like the pick, and he's clearly a really talented player, and that was a hell of a value at 52. So it's really amazing that you started this all out by talking about how, um, you know, in, in third and long versus uh, 11 or 10 personnel you know, the Browns obviously want to get someone like Owusu Koromoa on the field and take off, you know, the linebackers that they were forced to play with last year. Um, it in when we so in our linebacker episode, when we talked about Owusu Koromoa the first time, you know, I noticed that um, so Notre Dame played their base personnel versus 11 and 10, like 45.4 percent of the time, you know, last year, like. Mm-hmm. The highest rate in the NFL in the same, you know, versus that same offensive personnel was Pittsburgh. The Steelers played it their base in 8.5% of the time. I mean, Notre Dame, you know, hanging out in their base personnel with, you know, because they have Owusu Koromoa on the field. Like, he he just allows them to do, you know, so much more stuff. And and you can, you know, it's, it's so weird to think, like, well, we got to have this guy out there on third and long because he just, you know, like you said, he's he's so versatile and, um, and he's good at coverage and things like that. I mean, it just makes so much sense for a Browns team 
that really, really struggled with that, you know, in 2020. Yeah, I agree. Um, I will say when it comes to that stat, it would be interesting to see like what other teams did like in college football. Do you have numbers on other teams? And where so, that ranked? you know what? No, it's funny because when okay. I looked this up, it was compared to the uh, the comparison was Notre Dame versus the highest percentages in the NFL and Pittsburgh was eight oh, and a half. Yeah. See, that's the oh. thing. So NFL teams have the personnel where they're never going to have a Sam linebacker on the field and nickel, you know, like when it's when it's 11 personnel for the opposition, they're going to have three corners in the game. So mm -hmm. NFL teams always have that nickel that they're going to put in the game with college and high school teams. They usually will put that like hybrid, you know, like linebacker safety type body out over number two is the Sam or the nickel. And they'll just live in that because they've got their best 11 players on the field. A lot of those mm -hmm. teams, like you wouldn't want to take him out for your nickel at Notre Dame because your nickel's probably not as good at football. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like you could take your linebacker out and put in a nickel and then move him over to Will, but it's easier for a college team to just line up that way all the time. Like Ohio State, um, do you guys watch Ohio State like a decent amount? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Four like, back. Yeah. So, like 2014, like Darren Lee played that role, you know, and yeah. he, he didn't come off the field, obviously. And then Isaiah Simmons for Clemson. And I think if, I would say the majority of four or three teams in college and high school are probably that way. There's not a ton that have like these great nickel corners that they're going to sub in all the time. Um, the sub packages aren't nearly as, you know, complicated and deep with college and high school teams as they are with NFL teams. But that is, that is part of it though. Like you yeah. just said, like, um, yeah, but, but you can definitely do a lot with them. Um, I just think that, like year one, it'll be a lot of special teams, coverage, blitzing. Uh, they'll definitely probably try to limit his run role unless injuries happen. Yeah. Makes sense. I think uh, the the clip that comes to mind for me with JOK is I believe it, I believe it's against ETN, which is impressive because you know we all know ETN is pretty good out of the back field as a route runner, and he has a little wheel route, and uh, JOK gets beat to the spot and just flips his hips and just gets the interception. It's a little underthrown, but the the way he's able to move his hips and keep moving in the right direction, it's just did not it, it's not a linebacker. I I he's I, he's not a safety. He's not a linebacker like there is no he's just not normal and that's that's what's so enticing for Joe Woods defense who should be able to utilize him, should be able to have enough weapons for Joe Woods so he's not rolling a JV football team out there against NFL teams. But it's funny that you said he's going to be a demon on special teams because in my notes, I have this next guy. I, I have. He needs to be a demon for the Browns. This is the guy <laughs> that I've had mocked to the Browns. Uh, we, I've only done two mocks on the pod, and both times I had Schwartz, Anthony Schwartz going there. I, there it, like, I'm going to be honest. He's not a good wide receiver. In fact, he's pretty bad at being a wide receiver he doesn't have a route tree he ne never ran routes part of that's Auburn doesn't know how to develop wide receiver if they were given Julio Jones they <laughs> Bo Nix was terrible last year he's a terrible quarterback he did Schwartz absolutely no favors but you could see it especially <laughs> in the jet sweeps the end of rounds his ability to hit the hole and you know we don't know if he's going to have this great like uh, elusiveness and side to side speed because he like just never got caught. He was always running, and he would just hit a hole, 
And it was almost like the defenders had never seen that speed before. And he's a legit 4-2-6. I mean, this is the fastest guy in all of college football last year. I've been as bold as to say he's faster than Tyreek Hill on the field. I, I, you know, he's not built like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill looks like he could just about knock the socks off anyone in the NFL if he really wanted to. I love Ant. I love Schwartz. I think he needs to develop as a route runner. At pick number 91, all you need him to be is a wide receiver three, maybe wide receiver four, who gets a couple games a year with two two catches for 100 yards, you know, one run for 20 yards. This is really just... This pick was... Uh, we knew Browns, you know, the Browns knew they needed this as soon as OBJ tore his ACL. I mean, it was like they were playing five on five football the rest of the year, could not get anything open with Higgins and Jarvis as your number two and number one wide receiver. I mean, you just have absolutely no speed to get deep and to open up that defense. And now with OBJ back, Schwartz, hopefully Donovan Peoples-Jones keeps progressing as a route runner, as a receiver in general. You finally have some pieces that make it look like you could run the offense that you want to and not scheme open tight ends over the middle of the field in Kansas City where Baker's thrown into a size of a coffee cup. That's the window he's got. So it's just I, they needed speed. He's not a good wide receiver right now, but I, I think that they like the age mixed with the speed, and they think that they can mold him into a guy that's viable, even if it's running nine routes. That was my long-winded intro. Sorry, Brendan. I love Anthony Schwartz. But uh, what did you think about the pick and value and what he might bring? No, you're good. Actually, I was in the same boat. I had been texting people and sending messages to people for a like week it. or two saying that Schwartz was the guy. Yep. I DM'd a couple people the day of, and I was like, I think they're going to take him in the third or fourth round. What do you think? Um, and yeah, I was glad it ended up happening. And the nice. reason is because he's the exact thing that they needed in this offense because he can do the stuff they were doing early in the season with JoJo Natson. Mm-hmm. That package completely disappeared when Natson tore his ACL because they didn't have any other jet sweep guy. They had nobody yep. else that, you know, they never handed Natson the ball, I don't think, but they ran jet motion with him mm-hmm. like nine different snaps and they were absolutely obliterating the Bengals up front because <laughs> they were influencing the front side, front side end with the jet motion and then wrapping the guard for the front side inside linebacker, wrapping the backside tackle for the backside inside linebacker, and just crushing people on these gap scheme plays. (laughs) Well, as soon as, you know, as soon as Natson goes down, that package that they had practiced, I'm sure, a a good amount, and they probably had a lot more coming off of it with whether it was wheel routes or, you know, handing the ball to Natson, just different things. I'm sure that they had more they were going to build off that package, and then once he got injured, they didn't have anybody else to do it with. So it just completely yeah. disappeared. So first of all, he fits perfectly into that. But also, like you said, I mean, he has the speed to open it up for not only himself, but everybody else. Mm-hmm. They now have a guy that has, I mean, pure speed as a deep threat to go down the field. You know, they can run like post-cross concepts and take 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 the corner and safety out of it with his speed and then run you know, the receiver to the opposite side of the field into the vacated area. Um, they've talked a lot in the pressers and things about how smart he is. That really shows up because when you watch him, like I watched a good amount of him today. Actually, I watched most of his targets from this past season. I mean, he played F, Z, and X in that offense. Like they moved him all around different formation and into different spots and different positions. So it wasn't like he was always lining up 
as the left wide receiver like Diami, Diami Brown or someone like that. <laughs> I mean, he was moving inside, outside. I looked at his snap split, 50% inside, 50% outside. I mean, he, wow. he it's not just a slot receiver. Like people are talking about him like he's just a slot. You know, people say, oh, the Browns needed a slot and they got shorts. Well, that's not true. I mean, Landry's a <laughs> slot. Schwartz is, people have been asking me, Matt, asking me, is he going to start long term? I don't know if he's going to start. He's a, he's a situational deep threat and gadget mm-hmm. player. That's what Anthony Schwartz is. He's a situational deep threat and gadget player. You know, that's a fourth receiver probably. If he's your third receiver, that's that's fine. But, you know, I in this perfect world, when you have weapons as your one, two, three receivers, he's your fourth receiver, and he comes in and he takes the top off, and he rotates in, and he can be a gadget guy that gets bubbles and screens and jet sweeps and things. But the mm-hmm. way that Auburn used him was... It was horrendous. I mean, Bo Nix is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. Like, there's times where you can't even tell if Schwartz can track the ball because Nix would, like, jump around the pocket and then throw it straight over Schwartz's head (laughs) and make him, like, adjust to the ball at this awkward angle. Like, he's looking over his right shoulder, then Nix throws it, like, over his left shoulder. So then last second, he's, like, having to adjust to this awful thrown ball. Like, I'm watching the film, and I'm like, is that a drop? And then, like, is he not tracking the ball right. And then I watch it again from the other angle and I'm like, Oh, that's just not a well-thrown ball. I mean, he had, I think two, two well-thrown deep balls where he got behind the defense against LSU and Mississippi state. I believe one was a 91 yard touchdown. The other one was a 54 yard touchdown. And those were on post routes. I think, I mean, I think that Stefanski's going to make good use of them. When you watch most of his targets with Auburn, it's he'd go in jet motion, they'd fake it to the back, and then they would throw him the flares. Like they would just throw him like mm-hmm. these swing passes or flares. And then they would throw him like screens. And that that's like all that they did. Just like bubble screens and smoke screens. Um a lot of his deep routes are not like great film to go off of, like I said, because the, the throws are just so bad. <laughs> um also twenty years old, that was a reason to connect wow. him to the Browns. This is a guy that's going to rotate in this year offensively, take the top off for them. And like I said, do the gadget stuff that they were going to do last year with Natson, I believe. I think that's the role he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play all the time. He's not going to play a ton. Um, Lance Zierlein, I noticed uh, mm-hmm. Lance Zierlein, you know, he works for NFL Network or yeah, NFL Network or NFL.com. Mm-hmm. He said on a podcast with Dean Brugler today that he thinks Schwartz could be a really good gunner. That makes a lot of wow. sense to me. I bet yeah. Prefer was really excited about this pick. <laughs> um, I think, you know, this is a guy that he said that he returned punts in high school. He didn't return punts at Auburn, but it's definitely a guy that I'm sure Prefer wants to develop as a punt returner. There's no doubt about it. When you think about like guys that he's had in the past, like he loved Travis Benjamin or no, that was a different, I'm sorry. That was a different special team. Anything to get Donovan Peoples Jones out I apologize. of there. Yeah, yeah, because people's zone is the type that just catches the ball. And, he's so you know, you just damn big, just he just can't them. move. Yeah, he's he not just, very twitchy. No, yeah. no, he's a great athlete. It tested ridiculously well. Donovan Peoples Jones did, but he just he lacks the twitch and the juice that you really want back there, especially with a guy like Prefer, who has had a consistently great special teams um, unit for the last eight years or whatever it has been since he started in the Vikings. Um, I think. You got to say something, John? So three things real fast with Schwartz. Like if 
if this dude had a quarterback, he's a you know a late second, early third round pick for sure. Like he's and and if the Raiders had seen, him, the if Raiders he played had seen for Alabama or LSU or Clemson, he would have been a first round pick right. for the. Yeah, he's the blinders are on because obviously you know he doesn't play for the right colleges, so they can't. Mike Mayock doesn't even know who he is, but uh, but yeah, if the Raiders had seen this dude with a real quarterback, he would have been he might have been a first a late first round pick for sure. They would have figured out how to trade back in and snag him. So, um, yeah, incredible. He. I was just looking up his because uh, he ran. You know, he's a like he runs track. Obviously, he's ridiculously this is fast. Ridiculous stat. He, he ran a ten two one hundred. He uh, ran a ten oh seven. Oh, he did. Yeah, ten oh seven hundred meter dash broke the oh, record. I like, so, I yes, like the amateur record or something. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I found the twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, SEC finals or whatever. That's what I was looking at. But ten oh seven. That's. I think un- that was in high school, actually. Because so, he's probably gained weight yeah. since he was at Auburn, you know. Sure. He, he's a, and and that's another thing I want to say about him too is he he's good after the catch. He's tough. He he doesn't run away from guys. He stiff arms. You know he'll he'll run in. He'll throw a shoulder into a guy. He doesn't avoid contact like like a lot of track guys that you yeah. see. So he's not the type that's just gonna go down easy and evade contact and run away things like that. He's he's tough. Um, that's huge. He's good after the catch. He, yeah. I mean, there's plays where he, there's plays where he drops balls at the intermediate and short level. Um, there's, you know, there's also plays where, like, physical defensive back will kind of knock him off his spot. But he does show the ability to separate down the field. Like there were multiple times where he got behind the defense and the quarterback either stared stared it down and the safety got over the top, or the ball was just overthrown. Um, but I thought the flashes he showed cracking the ball down the field were really impressive when you combine that with the speed. And I think it's like, like you said, like they, they needed a deep threat badly. I mean, another thing is like, we can all talk about Odell Beckham jr. Like that's really cool to talk about him and all that, but like he hasn't been healthy his entire career. He's been in and off, you know, on and off and on and off, nicked up, injured, banged up. Um, he also, He's an inconsistent route runner, and that gives Baker Mayfield problems just from what I've seen on film, you know, with anticipating where he's going to be and things like that at the intermediate level of the field. So if OBJ gets hurt again or if they decide that they would like to, you know, get something for him because he is coming off an ACL, and if he's not 100% this year and he's – you know, 100% off the ACL next year. Well, that's his age 30 season. He's paid a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. I could see a situation where they want to kind of rotate receivers in and out. And with what he's paid, it's not really a situation where you can feasibly rotate him in and out of the game because of what he's paid. I am a big fan of Jarvis Landry. I'll, I'll just say, like, I think he, he has a chance to retire a Brown. I know that's not a popular take, but I really think that there's a chance he gets, like, a two-year extension next year and retires a Brown someday. Like, dependable, consistent, great chemistry with the quarterback, does his dirty work, not overpaid, like, not overpaid at all, I never misses a game. That. So there's just a whole list of things that Landry brings to the table, whereas with OBJ, there's just all these questions all the time. OBJ? Explosive, strong hands, you know, can make big plays down the field, but you can't count on him to be healthy, and you can't always count on him in the intermediate passing game, short to intermediate, I should say. So 
having someone like Schwartz that can take the top off and do some of those things that you were going to do with OBJ anyway, because think about some of the things they did with OBJ last year, the reverses. I mean, those are things you can do with Schwartz too. Uh, Those weren't in the offense when he went down also. So some of those like gadgety type plays, because they like to throw screens to OBJ. They like to give them the reverses because that's stuff you want to do with him because he's explosive. You get the ball in his hands. Well, you can do that stuff with Schwartz too. So um, I I like the fit long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, be now sure that Brendan has insulted OBJ, the show will be ending. He'll this will not be aired. Uh, no, I I completely agree with everything you said. I, there are a lot of people like I, for whatever reason, just seem to think that Jarvis Landry is not a good football player and love this narrative that he's overpaid and that he's just a slot guy who can't move. But I there's there's actually there's actually nothing that backs any of that up. Um, you would definitely be able to make the argument that. For what OBJ has brought the Browns, he's overpaid. Uh, I like Odell Beckham Jr., the person. I love his. I love what he can bring to the football field, but this this matter of the fact is he hasn't brought it with the Browns. And like you said, Brendan, he is inconsistent with his routes, and he likes to just he likes to freelance at, at the top, like at breaking points of his routes. And yes, it just doesn't work with Baker, a guy who wants to know where you're going to be. And the, another thing about Baker is like when he throws the ball. It's it's now like he throws it so fast. I don't I'm I'm almost sure that he broke the velocity record for the throwing at the combine. Um, like he gets the ball out of his hands quickly and he wants to know where he's going with it beforehand, which some people will say is a knock, but he just he, he's more comfortable in that situation. Um, so for all those reasons, I think that Schwartz is a huge pickup. He's obviously not going to give you what OBJ does between the hashes to Five ten yards out, OBJ special. That's not something you can, you know, uh, recreate. But for the price that you're paying Schwartz, who can be the deep threat, hopefully that OBJ was just to at least open that de- uh, defense up. He's not going to be as talented. Or, and like as you said, just being a yeah, demon yeah, I'm, in this I'm talking run about game. It. I, yeah, I apologize for. I just I want to no, make sure that I make the point. I'm not comparing Schwartz to OBJ. What I'm saying. No, I, is I don't think you the, sounded some like of that. the parts. When you consider that they have Higgins, they have Schwartz, they have yes. DPJ, they have Hodge. I mean, they have Hodge too, who is a useful player. You have Landry, Landry too. So, I mean, that's that's five guys. And when you take yep. all of that and you rotate all of those players through the spots and use them in, a, you know, you play them all to their strengths, you're a lot better suited to get through a stretch where OBJ's injured or banged up. You know, even in 2019, he played the whole year, but he wasn't healthy. He made that clear to everybody. He wasn't practicing the whole week. He was like only practicing on Fridays, I think. Like, you know, he's he's literally never been healthy consistently. And that's a big question with him. So at least now with Schwartz, you have this five wide receiver group where you could at least piece it together and rotate guys in and out and get by and probably have a really explosive offense even if OBJ goes down or if you get a great trade offer from a team that wants to give you a second or first round pick for OBJ because their, Mm -hmm. their receiver went down after camp or something, you know, or by the trade deadline, you know, there's, there's just, it gives you a lot of flexibility. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm not comparing Schwartz to OBJ. They're nothing alike, but he does allow the offense to do some things that, that OBJ allows them to do. Yeah, and he yeah. is on the team because 
Andrew Barry was wise enough last year to let New Orleans trade up so that they could move back, still take Jordan Elliott, and then get this pick. That's how. That's yep. why Anthony Schwartz is a Cleveland Brown. So yep, I, right. I mean, love it. Yep. I and Brendan, to be clear, I don't think that you, I don't think anyone listening thought that you made it sound like Schwartz is replacing OBJ. I might have made it sound like that because I, I was just kind of discussing what Schwartz could be if OBJ does happen to be a non-Brown this coming season or even the years after that. Um, I love that. Great insight on Schwartz. A couple of things I didn't know, especially the 50-50 split with his snaps. That's huge. That's absolutely humongous. And playing every... That's huge. Being 20 years old and playing three spots, I I keep saying that's huge. Like, that's my only adjective or whatever to describe this. But, like, that's absolutely amazing. Great value at 91, I believe. Um, So, Brendan, now... With rounds four through undrafted free agent, these are the ones that we are. We have another person coming on that's really going to hammer these home. But I know you said you wanted to talk about them, and we sure as hell don't want you to not talk about something that you want to talk about because we just learned so much. The listeners learn so much when you talk about these guys. So, we there are, you know, guys like Tommy Togiai and, uh, Marvin Wilson, people might be more, uh, they might know more about, but there were a lot of picks here that surprised me, I guess, because of their, their testing. There was really off brand with the Browns for taking these guys due to their testing. Um, and, uh, you know, not counting LeCount because he had the injury, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought Hudson tested very poorly in his RAS scores. Do you, do you know off the top of your head? Yeah. Like about average. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what what in your expert opinion, what do you think it is about Hudson that made the Browns decide to take him at 110? I think watching film of him, I mean when you watch him on film, he's clearly a great athlete. Like, you know, guys don't always like test the best. A lot of things that go into testing, like just right. how a guy prepared for the tests and all those types of things, but like when you watch him explode out of his past set, he's clearly a really smooth athlete. Um, so I think that clearly stood out to the Browns. They like him in the zone scheme because of his movement skills. Really smooth in his pass sets. Long term for the team, he's a swing tackle. And I think that's really clear. I think it's really obvious. Um, you know, there's a chance that maybe maybe he goes in a you know into guard and something happens with the interior three because it's it's unlikely all three of those guys are going to be here like long long term. You know, especially mm-hmm. with Teller's contract coming up and he's probably going to be really expensive. Yeah. But I don't see Hudson necessarily being a starting guard down the road so much. I, I just view him more as the long-term swing tackle. And if he can give the team, kind of like I said last year, you know, if he can give the team four years of solid play. You know, this year he might be the, the fourth tackle because Chris Hubbard, as long as he comes back from his, his uh, injury healthy, I think he should be the swing tackle probably, and he'd also be the backup guard at either spot most likely. But um, Hudson, this year, he'd be probably the fourth tackle, kind of like Kendall Lamb was last year. I mean, exactly like that. And then long-term, he's a swing tackle for the team. Um, and it's it's easy to see why Callahan likes him and wants to get his hands on him. He's new to the position, too. I mean, he was a defensive lineman a few yeah. years ago. That's been highly publicized. But He yeah. plays like it. He's mean. Yeah, exactly. He's got that nasty demeanor, too. So you, you combine that with the pass sets and the, you know, the movement skills with the nasty demeanor, and it's really easy to see why they liked him. 
Yeah, I think the my favorite thing about him is that there are certain guy uh, there. So with especially colleges, uh, there are fan bases that just grow super fond of a guy that might not be you know these these. James Hudson was one a perfect example. You know, if you didn't study the draft, you'd probably never really heard of him unless you specifically set out to watch someone on Cincinnati and noticed him. Um, and his ability to become such a fan favorite is one of those things that I look at, you know, late in the rounds. It's just one of those things that I think is very interesting. If the, you know, the fans, the diehard fans love him, he's probably doing something right. And like you said on film, he's just smooth. He's a smooth tackle who looks like he's going to go into guard. And uh, Callahan, one of the best in the business, should be able to coach him up to at least be a good backup swing tackle. That's all you need out of a guy at this point. You're not looking for a starting tackle. Uh, if it happens, it's crazy value. Um, well, especially for the Browns, because Conklin's under contract for a few years, yeah. and Wills is too. So, like, they don't need a starter. They yeah. need a guy that can play and be ready if an injury happens. Absolutely. Um, John, I'll let you talk about Togi since he was one of your guys as well. Yeah, we we had him ranked. Uh, I think we had him fourth in the uh, D the interior D line um, players. Like, you know, obviously with him, you know, the one thing that stands out is that he just you know his seven games on tape basically, and so. You know, there are definitely plenty of instances where he looks kind of, you know, average. You know, he doesn't stand out or anything like that. But um, but then, like, versus Clemson, boy, he wrecked that team. I mean, he wrecked that line. He just looked so good in that game. Um, you know, and then obviously versus Alabama, a little bit harder and stuff. But, I mean, they, you know, between Deontay Brown and Leatherwood, they had some pretty amazing guys. And not that they don't every year, but... Um, but yeah, so I guess uh, you know, is do you think that I mean, obviously Andrew Barry wasn't concerned with you know the lack of uh, just starts and, and plays. Uh, you know, was that a concern for you at all, Brendan, or do you think like you you saw enough to say, okay, you know what, I think this guy, you know, he belongs on the team. He can definitely play. Yeah, I think he's really just clearly a really stout guy. Um, you know, he he is quick off the ball, but I wouldn't call him a penetrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the thing with his role at Ohio State is it's just really translatable to what he's going to do for the Browns. And I expect him to rotate with Andrew Billings at um, at it's actually two eye. You know, I know a lot of people say like one technique, but the Browns don't play their nose in a one technique. They play them in a two eye. So that's inside shade of the guard. Um, that's okay. so they line them up on the inside shade of the guard. So, yeah. So I would expect Andrew Billings to start at two eye or nose and then Togi to rotate with them. And, you know, that's just. Yeah, I think Togiai, he's a kind of just like an immovable object in there somewhat. Um, I know he's like 295, so he's not, it's not like he was, uh, it's not like he's Tyler Shelvin in there, yeah, like, like the 350 pound nose tackle. Um, the Browns do want guys that can move and, you know, especially to defend like outside zone and things like that, because you are going to face other teams that run those types of schemes. Um but yeah, really with Togi, I thought he was really consistent with his run defense, just consistently in his gap, really hard to move, good against double teams, quick off the ball, powerful guy. He's not going to get a ton of like TFLs and sacks and all that, but that's not really his role. You know, he's going to he's going to he's going to do for the Browns what Vince Taylor did last year. I mean, that's that's how I view him. You know, I think Billings is going to start, he's going to play um, in the role that Ogan Joby played last year, and I think he'll be much better than Ogan Joby was, um, just based on how he played in Cincinnati. 
And I think Togi will rotate with them just like Taylor did last year. And I think that's two solid players at that position. Today they brought in Damian Square to compete with those guys. Um, and that's a veteran. He's a little older, um, but that's still depth in case an injury happens between now and the season. And then Sheldon Day, who they brought back, they had him on the practice squad late in the year. Um, Day actually started at 2-I for the 49ers two years ago in the Super Bowl, which is wild. I think some injuries took place, and he started in that game. Um, but, yeah, so those guys are all going to battle it out. That those, I think they'll probably keep two guys at that spot. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of easy to expect it to be Billings and Togi with what they have invested in those two. And sticking with the interior defensive line, uh, I mean, one of my favorite guys in this entire draft who didn't end up getting drafted, which shocked me, was Marvin Wilson. I was yeah. absolutely stunned. I, I thought for sure, like, day three, I was like, oh, I must, I missed him. I just got to go look it up and see who took him. Somebody obviously took him. He's not still available. And then, you know, as soon as the draft ends, of course, the news <clears> comes out that the Browns win the bidding war to get, you know, Marvin Wilson to sign him. So, I mean, that was... He dropped weight last year uh, down to 305, which obviously did not help him. He looked like a very different player. He looked much better in 18 and 19. Um, this is the immovable object. He, like It just looked like even double teams. They tried to double team him, and, and mm-hmm. Wilson didn't want to move. He didn't move. I mean, I just loved, uh, you know, he, nothing super flashy or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, I really loved him as well. Um, yeah, do you think, uh, like... Not that they, you have to compare Togi I and Wilson, but I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, there's going to be only so, you know, so much playing time. It's limited, of course. And so, where do you do you see Wilson fitting into this team at all? And what do you think about uh, him as a player? Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that Marvin Wilson, um, just based on the guarantee that they gave him, I definitely think there's a chance that he makes the practice squad, or even if they keep five defensive tackles, or if an injury happens, he fits. I see him fitting more at three technique. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I view, yeah, just based on like where he played in college and also just his skill set, like he's a really good upfield penetrator. Like just for that, even for that size, he's really good at getting off the ball, um, getting in a gap, working a pass rush move. He can bend a little bit, which is kind of yeah, <laughs> unique for a guy that's that big. Even. I was surprised yeah. by that. He's a really good athlete. It's, it's weird because when you watch him on film, I mean, there's aspects of his game that remind you of what Sheldon Richardson's looked like recently, you know, with, right. I'm not comparing him to young Sheldon. Cause it's like young Sheldon Richardson was a freak, but <laughs> like what he's, yeah. what Sheldon Richardson's done recently, um, just a big body at three technique that can, that has a little bit of pass rush moves and, you know, decent movement skills for that size. I think he airs kind of favor favorably to that. So yeah, I would expect him to compete, you know, in that room, I feel like Jordan Elliott. I've been making jokes to people that Jordan, Jordan Elliott, like, has he gone missing or something? I mean, nobody talks about him. Did he yeah. fall off the face of the earth? Did someone kill him, kidnap him? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, Jordan Elliott's the forgotten man. But, I mean, I think the Browns want him to get a lot more snaps this year. So I, I expect him and Malik Jackson to compete at three technique. And then I would expect Malik McDowell and Marvin Wilson to compete behind them for, you know, to try to earn a, team, a place on the roster or on the practice squad. Um, Always forgiven with your OBJ comments. What were you saying? (laughs) Always forgiven for your OBJ comments with that Jordan (laughs) Elliott comment. Oh, well, it's crazy, though. I mean, you see people talk about the defense. and Like, he is never mentioned. Like, Andrew Billings was like that for a while, too, and it just bugged me so much. Um, But, yeah, I'm not saying Jordan Jordan Elliott's going to be great, but he's clearly going to be in the mix. Like, he's going to compete with Malik Jackson to be the starting three technique. Like, that's clear. They're not going to just hand the starting job to Malik Jackson. Malik Jackson is primarily a 
rusher. That's what he's good as as an interior rusher. So you don't want him in there for 60 plays a game. Right. You don't want him in there defending the run every snap. I think Jordan Elliott is going to take steps forward. And if Marvin Wilson proves himself, proves to be you know reliable off the field and on the field and consistent and attentive and all those things, I think it seems like there was an off-field thing with him that caused him to fall. Like Obviously, we don't know a ton about those guys, but I mean, there's a reason he didn't get drafted. Um, but I think that in undrafted free agency, it's a lot more reasonable to take those risks. So, you know, it's a high, high reward, low risk signing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Jordan, Elliott, I agree with the Jordan Elliott statements. This is a Jordan Elliott fan podcast. Um, the one and only, uh, I, I completely agree. They, they took him and, and with high regards last year. And I, I liked what you said about the Malik Jackson thing is he's just being pinned as a starter right now when you don't want him in there. At like, like you said, 60 snaps a game. That's not what, especially at his age now, that's not what he's doing. I think a lot of what they brought him in here for is ass rushing sets seems pretty obvious, but also to be a mentor to all these young guys that they're bringing in. Mm-hmm. So excited to see how that comes about with Jordan Elliott and all these young guys and a guy that, it was it was surprising to see this. Uh, another guy that I didn't know a whole lot about, Tony Fields, the second linebacker out of West Virginia. The minute I looked him up, the first thing I thought was, there's no way in hell this kid's a linebacker. And then I looked up his weight, and they said he played at 220. He, he looks half the size that JOK played at in college. So, But after watching him, he flies around. Seems like they have a real type with linebackers, at least in this draft. And then last year with Phillips, they 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 do not covet this the Zayvon Collins type. They want they want speed. They want coverage ability, or really speed. It seems like speed is what they're looking for in linebackers, not the size that um, has always been for linebackers. So, what do you think of Fields? Is this a is this a special teams body? Is this a He's fighting Taki Taki for fourth or fifth in that linebacker room. Um, this is just assuming that Mar- uh, Mac is gone, I guess. But what what do you see for Tony Fields moving forward? Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like the best thing that happened to Tony Fields was that he got drafted by the same team that t- took a Wusu Koromoa yeah. because they're <laughs> literally not the same at all. Like I get that the weights are the same, but when you watch Tony Fields, like. He played less than 50 snaps outside the box or something in his college career. And he played a ton of snaps like, yeah, like he, he legitimately just played in the middle of the defense at West Virginia and would just, you know, they would slant their defensive line a lot and he would just read like, kind of like read what's going on, find the ball, wade through the trash and then tackle. Like he, he was in like very much just like a plugger downhill Role. when he wasn't defending the run he was primarily like rushing off the edge um hmm. so much more of like a box player than a space player um, i know that today andrew barry said that uh he was on the browns daily with agora and he said they view him as a will also um definitely a projection i don't I question the coverage skills. He's he's a very stiff-hipped player, but I tend to think that he'll probably be primarily a special teamer. Might be a guy that's on the practice squad this year, potentially. Um, 
you know, keeping six linebackers is a lot because I would say that they'll keep Anthony Walker, Jacob Phillips, Malcolm Smith, Wusu Koromoa, and Taki Taki. Like, I don't see how they, I don't see Taki Taki getting cut. I mean, with the strides he made last year defending the run and, and in coverage too, really, like, I like Taki Taki a lot. Um, so that's five. They could keep six, um, but that's a stretch. So, you know, but, but like I mentioned earlier, and this is a key is, Andrew Barry, he's building as much depth as he can right now because he knows injuries are going to happen, whether it's, you know, like what happened today with Jawan James or what happens in training camp or preseason, like injuries are going to happen. So, you know, so maybe Tony Fields is one linebacker injury away from realistically making the team. But but if he's dominant on special teams um, throughout, you know, training camp preseason, then maybe he'll earn a spot. Um, But I... I don't see like great upside with him in coverage. I could be wrong. I haven't studied him quite as in depth as some of the other guys have talked about so far, but just from what I've seen of him, he seems primarily as like a, a downhill player that's best, you know, not moving backwards, but coming forwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes, that does make sense. And, um, when, as soon as you said stiff hips, I think everyone, Definitely was right on board with yeah. This is not JOK. He JOK doesn't do doesn't do everything perfectly, but one thing he does have is fluidity at pretty much all points of the field. Um, Tony Fields, you know, if he's on the practice squad, he's on the practice squad. I was I was surprised they took eight players. Um, I mean, I guess I just assumed that they would maybe make a trade into next year because I thought that the bodies on the roster already there were already so many of them. But apparently they think that there's going to be roster uh, fights at for camp, so that that's that's really exciting. Um, at 169, they took LeCount out of Georgia. This is a guy who was just uber productive on the field, but then had that dirt bike accident, and I mean, just had the worst. This is the this is who I was thinking of had the worst. I think the worst Raz score in history. Obviously, testing on a bum leg. I don't know why he would have tested on it. Uh, I haven't looked into that. But he had like a .01 score for the Raz. Um, but productive on the field, do you see what... There's not a lot of safety depth right now on the Browns. Do you see him as a guy who might be able to scratch and claw for a spot in that 53-man? Or is this a is this a camp body? Yeah, I definitely think he'll make the team. Um versatile guy he plays mm-hmm. physical tackle really good instincts playing in the post um i heard the you know the scout that came up to the podium and ta- or not the podium anymore i guess but you know on the conference call talking with the media he talked about how much they like him as like a free safety you know and that that makes a lot of sense like eldrick redwine played terrible last year. <laughs> um yeah. and you know, his his roster spot is definitely in jeopardy because they've they've kept elijah benton and Javante Moffitt, they've kept both those guys around for reasons. You know, like they clearly like them. There's four undrafted free agents from last year left, I think, between those two, A.J. Green and Alex Taylor. Um, so, you know, they've kept those guys around for a reason. And Moffitt was even active on game day a few times. He didn't play a ton, but he got in a little bit. So I, I tend to think Sheldrick Redwine is very much on the bubble, just like Mac Wilson is. I definitely think LeCount... You know, I mean, he's got to prove it on the field, obviously. You can't just sit here and be like, oh, yeah, he's definitely Grant Delpit's backup at free safety. Like, you can't say that right now. But, 
I do think there's a good chance that happens. And with how much they're going to play big nickel with three safeties um, and dime with, you know, six defensive backs, three safeties, three corners, you know, you need a lot of defensive back bodies back there, versatile guys. And I think LeCount is an example of that where he has experience playing, you know, flat footing, uh, playing over number two and quarters, playing the post, coming down, rotating down, playing curl flat and cover three, um, played some man coverage. I mean, there's, there's a lot he's done. He's played 2000 snaps, played for, you know, a great uh, defensive mind, Kirby Smart. Yeah, Kirby Smart at Georgia, you know, so he's, and he was a five-star recruit. I think he started all four years or close to it with playing 2000 snaps in college, you know, his PFF grades just consistent as it gets, like just in the seventies, pretty much every year, just consistency, just like in all categories too, for the most part, just like run D and coverage. So yeah, I think that he has a chance to um, definitely outproduce his spot long-term in the short term. I would expect him to be primarily depth and then a special teams guy, you know, covering kicks and such. Um, and then I'll also say that, you know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out, I'm sure you guys saw it, but that he was um, in the 90th percentile when teams looked at the uh, GPS data as far as his movement on the field, um, wow. you know, because teams get J- GPS data on players now, whether it's like Catapult or whichever of these companies that they track all the players on the field and their movements and how fast they are compared to others and their position groups will look how it was a 90th percentile mover. So I think, wow. so like, you know, teams, teams are moving away from 40 times and moving more toward game speed now that they get more and more and more of this GPS data and all this stuff. So um, I think that's an example of the Browns seeing value where they knew that teams would ding them because of the pro day and all that. And they probably saw that as, you know, they could take advantage of that and get a player they viewed as like really talented a little bit later because they knew he'd fall. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, the when you see a guy who moved like that on the field test so poorly at a pro day, it just makes you scratch your head as to why teams just are absolutely shying away from him. I mean, we understand how important testing is in the NFL draft process, but when a guy tests, I mean, just that, I mean, it was awful. The numbers were terrible. It, you think it would make them raise an eyebrow and dig into that a little more. And some of them might, and some of them might have just found that they they just didn't want to take the risk on a guy who got in a motorcycle accident during the season. I don't know. We were, I wasn't there. So I like all – I, I makes me more excited about him, everything you said about everything you said. Um, I appreciate that you said backup, free safety – Grant Delpit because I've had I had a guy trying to explain to me that Grant Delpit will be playing up by the line of scrimmage guarding tight ends the entire time he's in the field and I was like well I mean he was like one of the best center fielders in college football so uh, shocked by that but that's besides yeah I think I think I would say there will be situations where they'll value Delpit's movement skills and length against tight ends Oh, 100%. primarily that won't be his role, but they will definitely want him to cover tight ends at times as he gets comfortable in the NFL because that's that is a skill set he has. I mean, there was there's film at LSU of him covering slot receivers and having really impressive reps. So yeah, there's few they, took, they took a unit last length. year that had very few guys that could do any of that, and now they have a they have a unit with a bunch of guys that can do that stuff. Whether it's 
Delpit, if he's healthy, you know, that's a big if. Yeah. Don Johnson is yeah. good at that. <laughs> and, you know, Uwusu Koromoa potentially also. So they've added a whole lot of guys with length. I mean, even Greg Newsom can match up with rangier players. I'm not going to say tight ends necessarily, but, you know, there's certain rangier players that he'd be able to match up with potentially also. Yeah, Delpit's length, um, playing free safety, playing tight ends, it, it's all so enticing. Uh, <clears throat> Delpit was one of my favorite draft picks last year, the entire draft. I, under, like, I understood that he didn't play as efficiently as last year at college. Uh, he's playing on his ankle sprain, I believe, the entire year. Whether or not that is what led to the Achilles uh, tearing, you know, because of favoring a side, what have you. Regardless, he's got to come back from an Achilles injury, which is terrifying. It's it's nice to see guys like Kevin Durant, who's a lot bigger than him, come back this year and look like him normal self. His normal self. We'll see mm-hmm. if um, Delpit had the same, you know, uh, luck. And yeah. last, Robert Mays, yeah. by the way, just to add another note on Delpit, Robert Mays did you know, he did say on uh, the Athletic Football Podcast that he's heard that Grant Delpit is 100 percent right now. Oh, wow. My. Well, he did tear he it about. That, he said that reviewing the draft. So it was yesterday's podcast. He said he said that from what he's heard, Grant Delpit's 100 percent ready to go if they had to start practice right now. That's amazing That's because awesome. I I was under the impression maybe they'll start him out slow, but I mean if he's 100 percent right now, he'll surely be 110 percent by the beginning of the season. I <laughs> guess he did tear it about 10, 11 months ago at this point, but um, that's. That's exciting. Thing, oh, okay, so it was a little, it was a little less than that. Um, yeah, yeah. The fans he said on the last building, the Browns, that Delpit and Greedy are looking good. So that's that's always exciting. We you're going to need depth. They still probably don't have enough depth at the defensive back position. And last but not least, a guy that is listed as a running back. It's kind of like. Um, labeling a guy like JOK at just linebacker where Felton is just kind of this this weird position where he is a running back, he played running back. But then you look at his pro day, uh, PFF was tweeting out clips from his pro day, and he was running better routes than some of the wide receivers that were in this draft. And absolutely amazing. I'm fairly sure he didn't test the best, but like with LeCount, like I'm sure his on-field data is much more favorable because this is a guy that moves on the field very nicely. Um, I like the pick. I know John loved this pick. John loves the versatility, the pass catching ability. It's uh, it's the way the NFL is going. It's a great value at two eleven. His reps at the Senior Bowl were incredible. I couldn't believe at Pro Day. Yeah, like you just like I'm just watching, like going, who is this receiver? Like, I don't recognize this guy from UCLA. And then they're like, yeah, that's, you know, Felton, the running back. I'm like, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? He's lined up out wide. He's running all kinds of slot routes. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got, looks like he's run this route tree this whole entire life. Like he's got, you know, he's got the ability to slant. He's cutting out. He's doing all kinds of, st- I mean, he was losing, just shaking dudes. It was really impressive. He looks like an actual wide receiver. And obviously he's kind of both, you know, running back wide receiver. But uh, so, yeah, Brandon, what did you think about him? Well, uh, Demetri Felton. <laughs> oh, I love, I took him in like the fourth round of mock Sims, like over and over. <laughs> and I would always send it to the group DM that I'm in with some people. I would always be like, He's a running back, he's not a wide receiver, because I would have already <laughs> taken a wide receiver by that point. So then they might be like, why'd you take two receivers? I'm like, nah, he's a running back. But yeah, so I um, 
Okay, so my friend Ryan Burns, uh, he came out for the for the Rams game in 2019. We had season tickets that year, and we we stayed up late and watched his alma mater, UCLA. Um, Ryan, actually on Twitter, he's at uh, at FTBL Sickness, so at Football oh, Sickness. A lot of people I follow, follow him. him. A Browns yeah. fan, yeah, yeah. So, um, so he's a UCLA alum, and so we were watching UCLA like two in the morning playing against Washington State. Best player on the field was Demetric Felton, dominant kick return touchdown. Like you know, he had like 230 yards and three touchdowns that night or something. Just dominated the game, and he was a key factor in them coming back and winning. Um, and and from then on, I he just like was always in my mind. Like that dude's a baller. Like he's he's good at football. Like I don't really care like how you use him, whatever. But he's good at football. Um, so I guess what happened with him was. Like I heard him t- tell the story. I don't know if he was telling the media or what interview I was watching, but yeah. So I guess Josh Kelly got injured. You know, Josh Kelly, who plays for the Chargers now, is a running back. He's in last year's draft, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. So his final year at UCLA, he got injured like the second day of camp, and then the running backs coach came over to Felton. He's like, "Hey, you want to move to running back?" Because he had been a receiver up until that point. I think he was a receiver in high school too. But he had always played wide receiver. Guys like, "Hey, you want to play running back?" Like Josh went down. Elton, like all these guys, the Browns keep bringing in for the most part, they're all like high character individuals, you know? So he's like, yeah, I'll do anything for the team. So he moves to running back, plays running back that year. And that was the year that I saw him in 2019. Um, and yeah, so then I mean, went to the, yeah. So he played running back the, ba- the past two seasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. At the senior bowl ran routes better than a lot of receivers you watch on film. I mean, he's a better route runner than Kadarius Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Kadarius Tony. I'll just say that right now. I really good fan. Um, but yeah, like he's a better route runner than him. Like he knows how to set people up and, you know, and win and win on time too. like not doing too much. Um, but yeah, he's not a great athlete, but he does all the things that it takes to create separation. And because the Browns are using him as a running back, because he'll be like a third down back, that's what he'll be. He'll be a receiving back. And and it's a completely different dynamic than Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt's a very good receiver, but Kareem Hunt's also like 215, 220. Like he's a bruiser. Demetrik Felton is a smaller, quicker player. Like all three of these guys could potentially have a role. I would say they'll bring Felton along slowly on offense, and he'll probably play more likely in case of injury this year. But long term, this is a receiving weapon out of the backfield because they're using him as a running back. He's going to get missed. He's going to get matched up against linebackers in space when they motion him out of the out into the hmm. slot or out wide. I mean, it's going to create matchup nightmares. And the thing that the two offensive picks, you know, the two skill players did was these two players. It's really easy to see how they could fit into the offense in 2021. And and you also you think about how Stefanski always talks about being multiple. Mm-hmm. Well, adding a running back with those skills makes you more multiple. Mm-hmm. Adding a deep threat that can do gadget stuff that makes you more multiple. So these are just more dimensions they keep adding to this offense to make sure that they don't regress. Because you know if they would have just stayed completely the same, you know you're risking regression if you just stay stagnant and don't do anything to upgrade your offense. So you know taking these two players. It just, yeah, it just adds potential new dynamics. I wouldn't say that Felton's necessarily going to be, you know, playing a ton behind Chubb and Hunt, but in a year, the Browns are like, there's a good, like, I would say that 
Cub will probably be around in 2022 and Hunt won't be. So mm -hmm. when Hunt moves on, Felton suddenly moves into that, that uh, you know, the primary receiving back role. That's kind of what it'll be long-term. Mm -hmm. And I compare them, I've compared them to James White, Deion Lewis. I heard uh, Dane Brugler today compare them to Naheem Hines. That makes oh. a lot of sense also. Nice. So, yeah, that's the type of skill set the Browns have added to the offense. I think he's clearly a running back. I know people are doing the conspiracy theorist stuff with him, too, where they're like, oh, he's actually a receiver. Like, no, <laughs> they view him as a running back. Andrew Barry and all these people have said that. <laughs> so, you know, they you can move players around to different spots, but everybody has to have a home position. That's something that you come right. to realize as you coach, you know, because you guys know I coach high school football. I mean, players have home positions. They go to position meetings with a position coach and they go to drills and practice with a position coach. It's not like guys can just be like fluid and just like go wherever they want to whatever meeting and all that. Like, you know, yep. Elton's a running back. Wusu Koromo is a linebacker, but but they're both players that allow you to do so much more because of their versatility potentially. So. Yeah, I uh, really liked the Demetric Felton pick that late in the draft. Yeah, I Big think, time. I mean, at the end of this draft, the Browns playbook got bigger uh, and better. And yep. it's, that's, it's that simple. Stefanski's going to be in love with these two. I <laughs> think, uh, Brendan, to your point, people, these conspiracy theorists on Twitter, these this terrible group of, no, I'm just kidding. These conspiracy <laughs> theorists, they're, they're confusing a player's ability with like that player's position. So we understand that Felton can run routes. We understand that Felton was a wide receiver at one point. But like you said, that doesn't make like that does he's also a running back, and that's what they drafted him as, and that's what he's gonna be used as. With JOK, we understand that he played a lot of slot in college. We understand that he has some coverage ability. Like they drafted him because they they viewed him as a linebacker. They're gonna have him as a linebacker. So I think that's important for listeners to distinguish. Like a guy's ability and his position might be like two separate things. You can't you can't just say that JOK is this safety when he's not a safety. He's not quick enough to be an NFL safety. All these things. He's a linebacker. Um, I think that's important. Oh, I thought that was a good. I'll point. add one last thing on Felton. I just thought of too is just the spe uh, the special teams value. You know yeah. that that's going to give him. A I mean, he he might be the kick returner this year. Um, Interesting. there's a good chance they only keep three. I mean, I've always liked Ernest Johnson a lot, but it's going to be tight with roster cuts and there's a decent chance because Johnson just doesn't have the receiving ability that Felton does. That might be the difference between the two. So, yeah. you know, Felton yeah. being the third back, um, the third of three on the roster and then returning kicks. And I think he might, he probably has experience returning punts too. Like I'm sure they'll have him doing it. I don't know if he'll necessarily do it in games, but I'm sure that he'll be like a depth punt returner for them also. Um, but I could definitely see him being the primary kickoff returner as a rookie. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. That I, I, I love the Felton pick way more than I did now after listening to you talk. Good thing we had you on. This is the, we'll make up Felton, Felton t-shirts now. But Brendan, every time every time we have you on, I can't like I I just want NFL football to be on the next day. Like now I'm like gonna go to bed and it's like I can't wait. Oh, we have to wait six months for football. Like it just it's so just the way you talk about these guys, it's fun. It obviously it's informational and that's really cool and it's great to learn about, you know, a lot of these uh, different guys and what they do and what they did and what they can bring to, you know, the Browns, uh, you know, just being a part of the roster. But but yeah, like it's just the excitement. It's just like now I just want to watch film and, and watch yeah. these guys and 
you'll see them actually get out on the field. I, I can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, I never I mean, stutter I anyways, this much. Really we we have Brendan on, and I stutter because I'm still thinking about like, especially after the Schwartz thing. And he said that he, you know he played all three. He played 50% inside, outside. Like I was trying to talk after that, and my head's just like already thinking of formations that they're going to want to put him in. It's terrible for me, but it's good for the listeners. <laughs> Brendan, we've held you on long enough, but I have one last question for you. As a Browns fan, because I know you grew up a Browns fan, what, what, what pick just made you smile on the inside? What, what was that pick? Um... Sorry for putting you on the spot. I said uh, I wouldn't, and then I did. No, it's cool. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Newsom. Um, it, okay. I know it's the safe pick. If I don't go with Newsom, it's definitely Schwartz. I was excited because I predicted them. I mean, that like when you predict something, you get excited. But also, Absolutely. it just it made so much sense for what they need at both positions. Um, so, yeah. I mean, Newsom, I thought that was the best case scenario. Definitely made me smile inside. But I thought Schwartz was the perfect receiver fit too. So sorry that I didn't narrow it down to one. No, that's it no. makes it even better. Twice both great answers. I by the way, Brendan, before we let you go, I wanted to I, I wanted to say this at the beginning, but I uh, you just said predict and it brought it back up. I read your mock draft and like I forget to what pick it was, but it was it was chalk perfect. It was perfect like up until the trades, I think. And I'm just sitting here like. Oh, you had so many in the first round mocked basically perfectly. And then like the ones you didn't get, so the Browns pick, you said in there, I'm only doing this because I think Newsom's going to go earlier. Like even the, even some of the ones that you didn't get, you said it's because this and this. So I just want to give you like that. That's all. Uh, everyone go read that. You can find it on his Twitter or on it's LeisterFootball.com, right? LeisterFootball.com. Yeah. Yeah, so that was incredible. I because yeah, I hadn't seen a lot of. Uh, I I didn't I guess expect a lot of them, and then here you are predicting perfectly. Um, so that that was cool. I just forgot to tell you that at the beginning. Um, yeah, thank thank you so much for coming on, Brendan. We uh we really don't hype up every guest like this. We don't give them this. We don't talk this nicely about them. We, we truly do enjoy when you come on, uh, you help us learn. John and I are both under the impression that like, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're doing something wrong. So we enjoy bringing people on that understand the game in a different way, can shed light, different information. And, uh, we really do appreciate you having it on, coming on talking. Oh, absolutely guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, it's fun to always talk about the Browns, talk about the draft, talk about the fits. There's a lot of fun uh, talking with you guys. Yep. Same, Brendan. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. So, so enlightening as always.